Hey everyone, welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 31 through 33, which will be covering manga chapters 69 to 75 and a half, a little bit. And we are going to be discussing the beginning of the much anticipated Arlong Park arc.、Uh, wow, that sounds really weird to say. This is the moment we finally learn more about Nami and her mysterious personality and past, as well as get introduced to probably the most fearsome foe we have come across yet in the One Piece story. And I cannot wait. So let's get right into it. So, starting off with the synopsis Luffy, Sanji, and Yosak are making their way to catch up to Zoro, Usopp, and Johnny, who have been chasing down and have finally found Nami, who has returned to her hometown of Kokoyashi Village. There, we find out that Nami is actually part of the feared Fishman Arlong pirate crew. It's revealed that Arlong is paying off corrupt marines to keep them off his back to maintain his rule over the island, and we progressively meet the townspeople of Kokoyashi. As well as Nami's adoptive sister Nojiko to learn more about Nami as we follow Usopp and Zoro separately around the island. But they're each captured separately, and Zoro is freed a little bit earlier on the story by Nami in an unexpected turn of events. But right as Zoro escapes, Usopp is then captured and brought to Arlong, and Nami, in order to prove her loyalty to Arlong, seemingly stabs and kills Usopp. And just then, on a separate part of the island, Luffy and company finally arrive. To hear the news of Usopp's death at the hands of Nami from Johnny, which leaves everybody stunned. And so, normally we do the differences section next, but this section of the story, actually, I didn't really find any differences. This was almost very faithfully adapted in almost every way from the manga, so no real differences here. So, let's just move straight into my thoughts on the episode. So, we begin this setup episode with a nice boat ride with Luffy, Sanji, and Yosak. And we get a good amount of exposition and some major world building、uh, interspersed with some hilarious comedy. Yosak teaches us and Luffy about their next obstacle, the Fishmen, and also their leader, Arlong. But more interestingly, he tells us about a group of pirates called the Shichibukai, or the Seven Warlords of the Sea. Now, I'm going to call them the Shichibukai because that's what I'm used to calling them. And I know in the English、uh, subtitles and in the dubs, they're often called the Warlords, the Seven Warlords, whatnot. But I'm just going to keep calling them Shichibukai because that's what I've always referred to them as. They're essentially a group of uber strong pirates that the world government recognizes and allows them to be pirates as long as they help rein in all the other pirates and not let things get too out of control. And it turns out Mihawk, who we met earlier, is one of those. Shibukai members, and there are six more of these out there, which is insane. Another Shibukai that gets mentioned is Jinbei, who is a fishman as well, who Arlong used to be associated with and may be the one that actually let Arlong loose on the East Blue. All of this is some really interesting new information, and I'm with Luffy in that this is all freaking exciting. It expands the world of One Piece like crazy, and all I can think about is. What this Jinbei guy is like, and who the other five members of the Shibukai are as well. And will Luffy run into all of them at some point? And what's going to happen if he does? And it's just, yeah, it blows my mind、um, how much this part of the story actually expands. But during these、uh, intense conversations of world altering information, 
We get this joke of Luffy drawing his interpretation of what a fishman looks like, as well as what a mermaid would look like, with another instance of Luffy's terrible artistic skills on display. Not only are the drawings hilariously bad, but what makes this moment funnier is Sanji's reactions to both of them. And already we get to see that amazing chemistry with Sanji in the crew. Granted, it's just Luffy, but it's awesome to see how well each member so far just fits with each other and the chemistry just seems to be so great between the voice actors. We're next finally introduced to Arlong and his crew, and wow, these character designs are amazing. This is the first time we actually feel some actual danger when it comes to the villains, as they're all incredibly imposing and threatening looking. I mean, just look at Arlong, and without knowing anything about his powers, he already looks crazy scary. Just the size, the saw shark design with the razor sharp nose and the shark teeth, it's just crazy intimidating. And it just seems like touching this guy looks like it'll hurt you. However, if their designs weren't intimidating enough, Oda certainly hammers home their threat level by showing what they can do. When Usopp stumbles upon a neighboring city or village with the remains of what used to be the town of Gosa, the houses are all flipped over and everything is just in ruins with seemingly everybody in the town being killed. And... Yeah, it just seems like it was nothing to these people, or fish people. And if that wasn't crazy enough, we find out that not only is Nami not just a traitor to the Straw Hats, but she's actually a pirate herself and part of the Arlong pirate crew with a tattoo to match. Although for me, even after this revelation, I'm still convinced that there has to be a reason for this, given all the evidence we've seen up till now about Nami and her personality and her interactions with everybody. Even with the introduction of her and the kid, uh, Chapo, she did smack him, but then she just let him walk away and even giving him some money. And this is money that Nami is always incredibly protective of. Like, she, it's her precious money, and she just gave him a stack. So, I mean, it's clear that she, while she wanted to scare him away, she still didn't want the kid to be without anything and actually cared. Going back a bit, we find out that Arlong is working with a corrupt marine named Nezumi, which is literally the word mouse in Japanese, which makes his appearance all the more funny because he looks like a mouse. This also just adds to the list of corrupt marines, and it's interesting to see that we have yet to really see any good marines up to this point. I think this was intentional on Oda's part in doing this to make us firmly root for the pirates for now, by showing us that while the Marines are supposed to be the good in the world that are supposed to help people and keep the peace, in reality, they're selfish, incompetent, and corrupt, and letting people suffer for their own selfish games while we see Luffy and the Straw Hats helping people wherever they go. And yeah, this kind of just sets up the whole idea that we should be rooting for the pirates. And the Marines, while they are supposed to be the good guys, are often not just for selfish and greedy reasons. Also, the, the whole Nezumi and the... It just also adds to another list of weird marine names. Now, jumping back to the Gosa scene, we meet Nojiko, who we would go on to find out is Nami's adopted sister, who happened to be there to save both Usopp and Chapo. The kid that we saw Nami beat up earlier is as he's still out for revenge on the fishmen and is looking for any of them and mistakes Usopp for a fishman due to his long nose. 
I think the funniest thing about this is that even in a universe where there are all these crazy things, Usopp's appearance is still weird to the people who live in the world of One Piece. <laughs> and I just find that really funny that his long nose makes people believe that he's some sort of a monster. And then now flipping back to Luffy, <laughs> this has got to be one of my favorite scenes uh, uh, in this arc, the Momu scene. This scene is so awesome. It's a pretty informative, but also hilarious at the same time. So Luffy just immediately punching Momu, this big ass, like cow looking sea monster. After realizing that it was after their food, Sanji kicks Luffy and being the compassionate self he is, offers food to it, thinking it may be unable to feed itself. But then it plays on our expectations from the previous arc and instead, Sanji all of a sudden kicks it out of nowhere. And Yosak's shocked reaction of, where did the love go? <laughs> Only to re- reveal that Momo was actually attempting to eat Sanji whole, not just the food. However, while we know Sanji is strong, we get to see just how strong he really is by quickly dispatching one of these Sea King monsters from the Grand Line, similar to the one that took Shanks' arm, although a lot more cuter and funnier looking. And yeah, we get to kind of see just how strong Sanji really is, and we basically get the sense that he is on the level of Luffy, Zoro, and now Sanji, making up what many fans call the Monster Trio. And so this is the beginning of that. Through more clues dropped by Nojiko and Usopp's conversation, we can start to theorize what is actually happening with Nami and Arlong. However, I really like the scene where they're in the house because it establishes just how much pain and suffering the inhabitants of this island have had to endure for so long, but also gives us a deeper look at Nami. But at this point, we're all pretty aware that Nami is not truly a part of the Arlong pirate crew. But these three episodes really does an amazing job at continuing to maybe sow some doubts in our head as to which side she's actually leaning on. I mean, with the Arlong tattoo and her being friendly with them, but also with the little moments like Nojiko being pleasantly amused at the idea that Nami was actually happy and smiling with the Straw Hats, along with the next scene with her interaction with Zoro, as he's captured, then it flips to her saving him, but then the similar scene later on with Usopp, which we'll get to, it all kind of just adds to this sort of flip-flopping of, is she good? Is she bad? I mean, I think for most of us, this wasn't really anything that we kind of were confused about. I think, I think from my perspective, I was always on the side that Nami was a good person. It's just that there's got to be a reason why she's being forced to work alongside Arlong. But first, let's talk about the Nami and Zoro capture scene. Actually, the one thing I wanted to mention here is how Nami reacts so strongly and devastatingly to Arlong stating that Nami is the kind of person who will, quote, forget about her own parents' death for money. This is clearly something that really gets to Nami, who up till now has pretty much just gone along with whatever negative thing has been thrown her way and even the insults and, and like the snide comments from Arlong, whether it's being called evil, a witch, or selfish, or thief, or pirate. But this is something that really struck a nerve and something deep inside Nami. And Zoro notices this with this slight change in Nami's face and demeanor. As someone who initially didn't trust Nami, and even who didn't really trust her fully up till now, I think it's pretty astute of Zoro at this point to figure out that this isn't really Nami and that she is actually putting on an act and all the good things Nami has done 
those were the real moments, which is why he decides to put this to the test by diving into the water with his hands and feet tied. And sure enough, Nami does rescue him under the guise that she wants to kill him properly later. Of course, she would go on to free Zoro and tell them to leave her because she does seem to care about them. And while she can't be with them anymore, she doesn't want them dead as she's hoping maybe they'll take her back once she's freed her town. We then get to introduce more to the folks of the Kokoyashi village, and specifically a man named Genzo, who seems to be the town sheriff and has curiously got a pinwheel stuck to his hat, which is something that's always stuck out to me. Uh, of course, there's a reason for this, and we'll get to that probably on the next episode. Actually, no, we won't get to see that until the very end of the arc, why he's got that pinwheel. Uh, anyways, we see him being threatened by Arlong for having weapons, and the best part about this whole Whole thing is Usopp. As Genzo is about to be killed by Arlong, Usopp comes out of nowhere, all of a sudden attacks Arlong from a distance with the gunpowder star. And it seems like this, which is why I love Usopp from the very beginning and never understood the, the Usopp hate. I mean, he's clearly terrified and stands no chance of beating Arlong, but even still, he knows the right thing to do is to step in and help save this man. He doesn't even know and risking his own life, and that's true bravery right there. And yeah, I I honestly don't, like I said, I don't get the, the hate for Usopp because he has some awesome moments, even early on in this series. Anyways, Nami shows up after the altercation with Usopp, and we find out that Nami is, is hated by her own hometown for her reputation as someone that turned her back on the town to join Arlong. But it turns out the real story is that she's actually been doing all of this up till now to buy her town back from Arlong for 100 million berries. And so all the stealing from pirates and all the lying and the manipulating has been to collect money so that she can buy the town back from Arlong and free her friends and family and all the people of her village. Now things have pretty much fallen into place as to who Nami is, and what her motivations and goals are, as well as that grave we find out belongs to someone important to Nami, and in all likelihood, her dead parents that were mentioned a bit ago by Arlong. And kind of switching gears, going to the Zoro and Hachi scene, I always found this scene with them really interesting and funny. It's just that Hachi appears to be so different and non-threatening compared to the other fishmen, and almost friendly and likable. Also, the fact that his friends are all beat up by Zoro just behind the wall is pretty funny too, with him just completely oblivious to that. But really, this scene always stood out to me with just how different Hachi is portrayed compared to, like, you know, I mean, Arlong, Kurobi, Chu are all incredibly intimidating and imposing. And then there's Hachi. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on Hachi and see where his character goes because Oda doesn't do stuff like this without a reason. Once Zoro arrives on Kokoyashi village with the help of Hachi as he friendly takes him on the little sea taxi over to the village. Of course, he promptly gets run over by Luffy once uh, Luffy and Zoro and uh, Luffy, Sanji and Yosaka arrive. I love this sort of running gag that uh, Luffy always inconveniencing Zoro every time they reunite. There's going to be an even better example of this later on in this very arc. And yeah, they're all hilarious to see. The last moment in this set of episodes 
is once Usopp is finally captured by Chu, he's brought to Arlong Park and like Zoro is again faced down by the Arlong pirates and Nami, clearly becoming uneasy with all the straw hats constantly put in danger from Arlong. It's, it's starting to show and Kurobi is beginning to suspect Nami. But in a crazy twist, as Usopp tries to escape, Nami catches Usopp and stabs him and drops him in the water, seemingly killing him with Johnny witnessing this from afar and quickly runs to tell the other Straw Hats, with, of course, everyone in shock, except seemingly Luffy seems only mildly surprised. But then immediately we're teased that Usopp actually survived, and at this point we know that Nami somehow faked Usopp's death and let him escape. So that pretty much concludes the episode. But I just wanted to mention one common theme that continuously pops up when it comes to the Arlong Park arc, or any time the fishmen and mermaids are brought up in the story, is the is the overt tones of um, racism and race superiority and the idea that not all living things are born equal. And that's something that Arlong and the Fishman expose quite frequently. And there are these clear overtones and themes very much present. And Arlong clearly believes that Fishmen are naturally superior to humans. And in the many ways they are, you know, empirically, they're stronger, they're faster, they have much more endurance, much more invulnerability. They're, they can breathe underwater. They're strong underwater. But due to this believed inferiority, he believes that humans are only good for serving the will of fishmen. There's a lot I want to say about this topic, but it's hard to without spoilers. So we'll get a bit more into this in the spoiler section. But for now, I like that we're seeing more adult themes and motivations for our villains as not only is Arlong physically scary, but because his ideology is grounded in something so real as racism, he's even more terrifying because it serves to ground him more than just the villains we've had up till now, who are still these bad guys who just are for the, bad for the sake of being evil or greedy or for wealth and power. And so they were much more of these sort of Saturday morning, you know, monster of the week type or villain of the week type of guys. But Arlong is very much more real, even though he's the most outlandish looking of the villains we've had up till now. And finally, we get a new ending theme here called Run, Run, Run. And this is once again performed by Maki Otsuka, who sang Memories from the very first ending. And it's a very big departure in, ter- in terms of tone from Memories. It's way more upbeat and much more happy. It definitely follows that adventurous feel that One Piece has at the, at the moment in the series. And we see each member as a kid... By this time, I think in the series, aside from maybe Nami, which we'll see in a few episodes, we see them all as little kids and sort of remnants of their past. We see we see them have have fun, adventuring, and while still this is not the most interesting animation, it's certainly a step up from the still image from memories. But I definitely like the song itself more than Run Run Run. I don't really have too much else to say about this ending as it's always been fairly average. Um, for me out of all the endings but it's still a nice listen with that being said so yeah these three episodes are certainly a bit of an emotional roller coaster with Nami's allegiance and motivations constantly being tested and flipped as well as seeing our heroes in seemingly somewhat real danger with actual threatening villains in Arlong and his crew not to mention the crazy cliffhanger each episode seems to leave us off on 
It's pretty insane. And next episode, we get to dive into Nami's backstory. And holy shit, it is one of the saddest and most disturbing stories that will that will bring you to tears. I know I was sobbing when I was when I first read Nami's backstory. And yeah, it's it's a doozy. So yeah, I can't wait to get into that. Anyways, if you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection or other One Piece related stuff. Go ahead and check that out. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. And I hope to see you on the next episode or stay tuned for this spoiler section. Bye. Alright, so spoiler section. This spoiler section is going to be pretty huge. Um, Probably the biggest one I've had up till now because there are a lot to talk about. First of all, the introduction of the Shichibukai. In in these episodes, we're formally introduced to the concept of the Shichibukai or the Seven Warlords of the Sea with Mihawk and having Jinbei's name dropped so early too. I mean, Jinbei won't actually be officially introduced for another like 400 or so episodes in the Impel Down arc. The Shichibukai as a group and concept I thought were amazing. As we now know, not only we have Mihawk, but the six other monster-level pirates that Luffy may have to contend with. And I remember how much reverence the Shichibukai had at the time. And each time a new one was revealed, it was a pretty big deal. These characters loomed over the story of One Piece like as these crazy threats that we were all excited yet scared to see with how freaking strong many of them were i still remember the build-up to each one but even then if they were revealed we still didn't know a damn thing about them sometimes for years to come especially with doflamingo with him and kuma both introduced pretty early on but we knew nothing about until obviously doflamingo in the dress rosa arc way down the line and then with kuma during the thriller bark arc and both of those, we never got to see their powers until much, much later on. And, well, we kind of got a tease of Doflamingo's telekinetic, quote-unquote, powers. Um, but although, again, that's another situation of Oda sort of faking us out. And I, just to toot my own horn, I actually guessed Doflamingo's power right off the bat and the name of the power as well. Like, his fruit, I was like, oh, I know exactly what he's doing. But I love the Shichibukai, and I'm actually kind of sad to see it get dissolved um, where we are in the story. But yeah, I mean, Crocodile and Boa, Doflamingo, Kuma, they're all amazing to see. And okay, M- Moria, Moria was all right. He was not the best, but I think all the other ones. And then the newer ones that we get with Buggy and Teach and our Blackbeard, and then um, Law. I mean, Law wasn't really that much of a shibukai, but whatever. (laughs) Next, I want to talk about Hachi. As I kind of alluded to in the episode itself, Hachi is such an interesting character to look at during this arc in hindsight. I mean, when when you take into consideration his chapter cover art story after this arc and his reappearance again in in, uh, Shabondi, and the Fishman Island story, it's pretty clear with hindsight, Oda did have something else planned for him down the line. As I mentioned in the overview, 
He's portrayed starkly different from the other main Arlong crew members, and he's much more friendly, even kind of has this nice rapport with Zoro, and he's even, in, even I think, not in these three episodes, but in the next one or two episodes, he has that sort of short interaction with Luffy, and he's just, where Luffy just kind of walks past them, and he's like, I kind of like that guy, he's funny. And he's never shown to be doing anything too terrible, and even in his fights, He's the only one played for almost complete comedy. Whereas even Usopp versus Chu and Sanji versus Kurobi and Luffy versus Arlong, while they do have some funny moments, it's definitely not the focus. Which is good because I kind of liked Hachi with how funny he he is, especially when we get to do the uh, the Zoro the Zoro versus Hachi fight. <laughs> that fight is freaking funny as hell and awesome. So I'm kind of glad that we get to see more of Hachi, and I'll definitely talk more about Hachi when his cover art story starts, as well as when he shows back up as Shabondi. And then the other topic I want to cover is the Fishman Island arc. Now, I'm not going to go too much into detail about it, as obviously I'm going to be covering it when we get to it, but it's kind of funny, it's kind of interesting to see what Fishman Island means in terms of Arlong here. So with the introduction to Arlong and the Fishmen, it's interesting looking back on this arc with the hindsight of knowing Jinbei and the entire Fishman Island arc. It puts this arc in a whole new perspective. As well, nothing Arlong did was ever justified or condoned in any way because of the backstory. It does go a long way to deepen Arlong's motivation and why he's so racist towards humans and the whole human and fishman dynamic on a macro level. Because through the Arlong arc, we see the fishmen as these overpowering racist super life forms who impose their will on humans. But it turns out throughout the world and in the vast majority, it's completely the other way around. As we find out through Shabondi and Fishman Island, the fishmen and mermaids are in fact the ones being persecuted, discriminated, even trafficked and enslaved by humans. Arlong experiences all of these things as a young pirate, and as we see in the Fisher Tiger flashback, kind of has a reason to be very vindictive towards humans after all he's seen and been through. Not to say that what he's doing is justified in any way, but it just kind of highlights that racism and hate is a never-ending cycle of suffering from everyone if nothing is ever done about it, which is the whole theme of the Fishman Island arc, and so we'll get into that more in detail when we get to that portion of the story, but it does go to show you that it does kind of recontextualize this whole uh, arc when we actually look at his entire story. And then lastly, Jinbei. I want to briefly talk about him here, but we'll get into way more detail with him as he's properly introduced in the story. His name drop here makes his character another one of those things that made us fans just have a ball theorizing what kind of character he'd be. I remember the fact that we have someone who's a Fishman member of the Shibukai being stronger than Arlong. Like, what kind of ferocious person would would a character like that be? And when we finally see him... It turns out it flips our entire conception of what fishmen are like on its head. We got a taste of it with Hachi at Sabondi, but this was the guy. If he's not evil, then what are the others like? And of course, like I discussed a little bit earlier, the Fishman Island arc, we get a much broader and accurate scope of what the social and political dynamic of the fishmen and the landscape they hold compared to the world government, the public perception, 
and of course the celestial dragons and it's just you know the world nobles it's not even it's just horrifying like the celestial dragons are just the worst and it's just interesting to, to look back on the arlong park arc with all of that now you know revealed and it's just that's the one thing i love about one piece and just how much more deeper it gets the further it goes and it even just sort of enhances the original arcs and it's 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 funny because while Arlong Park is still remembered to be one of this one of the most amazing arcs in the story still to this day it's amazing that it gets enhanced even further because of what we find out later on in the story and all this development we get and it just goes to show you how amazing Oda is at sort of putting all this together and just the long form and the short form storytelling that he employs it's just mind-blowing, and it's just so rewarding to read and watch. Anyways, all this to say that not only is Arlong Park Arc great because it improves the storytelling and creates a rich and emotional story, but also takes a huge step in expanding the world of One Piece to get us all excited about what's to come and just the real story beginning in the Grand Line. And so, yeah, I would like to thank you for listening to all of that. Just sort of me just rambling on about how great One Piece is and just how much I like the Arlong Park arc. And I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye.